Welcome to Taking Notes with NextGen Venture Partners, where we have interesting conversations with entrepreneurs and innovators in the NextGen investing ecosystem. I'm your host, Dan Mindis. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. My guest today is Harrow Beckar, co-founder and CEO of Heika. NextGen Venture Partners is an investor in Heika, which offers a platform that helps healthcare providers connect their patients with vetted specialty psychiatry clinics. Harrow and I talk about why these clinics are underutilized for depression and other conditions, and various types of specialty treatment, such as brain stimulation and ketamine. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Harrow, thanks so much for joining me today. Dan, thank you so much for having me. Very excited to be here. Well, let's just start with what is Heika? Absolutely. So Heika is a patient referral platform in specialty psychiatry. So we help healthcare enterprises, so providers at, let's say, a health system or a telehealth company, identify patients in psychiatry that need higher level of care and make sure that those patients are eligible. And we allow for one-click referrals into more complex, advanced psychiatric treatments like brain stimulation or some that are now a lot of, they, they are taking on a lot of bandwidth in the news, like psychedelics. And that's what we do. So it's, it make, we make it easy. We take out the guesswork for a healthcare provider to make that referral. And we make it easy for the patient to get to treatment that will take their insurance. And how did you get into this? Dan, I have a conventional path to healthcare. I had a friend who had gone through multiple antidepressants. Nothing seemed to work for years. And he died by suicide. So I decided to go to grad school to make this career change and explore problems in the mental health care space. Interestingly enough, we started the company as a lab to market therapeutic company to bring a new patient-centric treatment to market. And while interviewing mental health providers, professionals, prescribers, and clinics that offer the latest mental health treatments, we realized that bringing a new therapy to market was not the most significant need that there were already treatments like TMS, uh, which is a type of brain stimulation, ketamine, Johnson & Johnson's Spravato, which is a variation of ketamine given as a nasal spray that were hardly used by people. And even more interesting, the people prescribing antidepressants, mental health nurse practitioners, psychiatrists, hardly knew about all these new treatments. That's when we knew we needed to build the connective tissue, the infrastructure, so those prescribers on the front lines could identify patients who are eligible for treatment so patients could get from first-line care to behavioral health specialties, including TMS, ketamine, and psychedelics, seamlessly in an easy way. That's our journey, from a lab-to-market therapeutic company to a patient referral platform for behavioral health specialties. Talk for a moment about each of those stakeholders. So you've got your clinics, you've got your provider systems, you've got your patients. What are they getting out of this? Dan, that's a fantastic question that has to do with making sure all stakeholders are aligned and there's value to everyone. Sometimes advice early stage companies in healthcare and I usually tell the founders, make sure like just solving a problem for a patient doesn't mean that you have a company. So that was a really interesting discovery journey for us and then go to market that we needed to hone in exactly what is the value for each stakeholder on our platform. 
for clinics that provide treatment, that is very straightforward. I'm starting here because clinics that provide treatment want more patients. They just need more patients that are treatment ready, meaning that they meet the eligibility criteria for insurance to cover treatment. In many cases, these clinics make anywhere between 5000 to almost 20000 or even in some cases $30,000 per patient in lifetime value of a patient. So they're highly incentivized to sign up to anything that will bring them treatment-ready patients. Now, on other stakeholders like telehealth, telehealth, if they're fee-for-service, they're not necessarily incentivized to refer a patient to a next-generation treatment. However, there are ways to align these incentives, like a lot of the clinics that we work with turn away 20, 30% of the people that show up and they get to the clinics by referrals or by marketing or any other mean because they don't have a care team. So we're working with companies like Cerebral to identify these prospects that need a care team, connect them with Cerebral, track their data and bring them back into the clinic. Cerebral is happy because they get more patients on their platform and the clinics are happy because actually we make sure that even people who showed up at the clinic that didn't meet the criteria back then can meet the criteria now after they have a care team. There's also health systems. And for health systems, use cases are slightly different. We're working very closely with one of our partner companies, Tendo. Dan Goldsmith, the CEO, is a big supporter of us. And with alongside Tendo and with Dan, we're going into Rush, a health system in Chicago, to present a use case that is getting patients from primary care into their own interventional psychiatry clinics. You'd be surprised, but even within a health system, the different parts don't really talk to each other. And there are thousands of primary care patients that meet the eligibility criteria for Russia's own interventional psychiatry clinic, and they're not getting there. And in addition to that, there's another synergistic relationship with telehealth is we can take patients from primary care to a virtual telepsychiatry or behavioral health company until they meet the criteria for interventional psychiatry, making sure we take that patient away from overusing primary care services or roughly five to 6% of primary care patients in be- doing behavioral health, they end up in the emergency department. So that's cost reduction in emergency department use. And also the patients actually get the help they need at the right time. So for a health system, is is a cost reduction use case and a revenue generation use case for their own interventional psychiatry, which hospitals in the last, especially the pandemic accelerated, the removal of any intervention like psychotherapy or psychiatry that is not necessarily revenue generating. And they, they are focusing more on high revenue, high margin interventions and procedures. And for a health system with brain stimulation clinics or TMS clinics, those are high margin, high revenue interventions. Let's go on to the patients. So tell us about brain stimulation. Who are the right patients for that? And what are the results? I'll first clarify that I'm not the clinical person on the team. And I always say that there is no silver bullet. I wish there were. That being said, this type of brain stimulation, TMS, which stands for transcranial magnetic stimulation, is one of the best treatments you've never heard of. There's a study that was done in 2017 where over 90% of TMS patients who are new to treatment had a significant positive response. 
and more than 60% went into remission. This is massive compared to common antidepressants like SSRIs, which many studies and psychiatrists say they're slightly better than placebo. The right patients are, for example, in the case of depression, those who have tried more than two, and in some cases three antidepressants are not responding to medication. What's interesting here is that some of these rules on what makes a person qualify are not necessarily clinical. These are requirements put in place by health insurance companies. These are very expensive treatments, so they're trying to limit the amount of people that get to these treatments. But I believe that with all new treatments, TMS, psychedelics, ketamine, as use goes up, more people get to them. Prices will eventually go down and health insurance companies will see the economic benefit of behavioral health patients being treated. So the list of requirements to qualify for treatment will get shorter. So it'll be easier to access care. Within healthcare providers, you have your champions for your platform, your connective tissue to these alternative treatments. I'd imagine you might also face some resistance. These are not, at least in the broad public, super widely known treatments, although they're increasingly known. They sound strange. Maybe they sound scary. What kind of resistance, if any, are you facing on the provider side to these alternative treatments? And what levels of resistance are you seeing? High, low, medium, evolving? That's an interesting question. I actually just finished a call with a provider and she was uh, saying the level of resistance, I would say, is low to medium. It's very interesting to dive deeper. It's not necessarily because of the lack of data around these treatments. Actually, there is a lot of data around these treatments. It's more an operational resistance. I'll paraphrase what she said. She said, like, I've heard about these treatments. I don't really know how they work. And I have absolutely no idea when a patient is right for them. The resistance comes from an operational angle, not from a clinical one. So one of the things we're offering, actually discussing with one of our champion partners, Cerebral, is actually including not only the clinical data that the providers want to see, also talking points on how to discuss treatment with a patient. I don't know if it was in this question or another question, Dan, that you said these treatments, some of them are scary sounding, others are actually scary looking. If you look at TMS, if you Google a photo, you see a chair with a big machine that gets very close to someone's head. That does not look like a, like a spa treatment. So how to discuss treatment with a patient from the point of view as a provider, that is critical to the patient journey. And that also informs the kind of content that we create that gets delivered to potential patients or to, let's say, end users to decide whether to pursue treatment. So for those who might be listening and might find some of these treatments scary or strange or novel, let's dive into them a little more. What exactly is TMS? What happens there to the patient? Well, TMS, as it stands for transcranial magnetic stimulation, it's a magnet that stimulates a specific area in the brain. That area is determined either by an MRI that can be done prior to treatment, and there are other ways of determining the area. But in a way, it identifies the area of the brain that is depressed, and I'm not the clinical person on the team, so pardon my lack of clinical precision. And it stimulates that area of the brain, and after a few days, patients start noticing changes in improvement. 
the problem with treatments like TMS is that it requires for someone, for a person, for a patient to come in almost 30 to 36 times to a clinic in person, 36 times in a row, except for weekends. So even if it is just for 20 minutes a day, these treatments are very time consuming in that sense. And all of these treatments are in person. And actually, we're not working with any providers that offer these treatments at home, as in ketamine at home. We're very careful that every provider that we onboard into our platform is vetted clinically. And as a company, we don't necessarily believe in the, in the, in the use of controlled substances at home unsupervised. For example, ketamine infusions need clinical supervision for liability reasons and patient safety reasons, similarly to ketamine nasal spray. Yeah, so on TMS, let's conclude there, and then I want to move to ketamine. You mentioned 80% reduction in depression. You also mentioned coming in 30 days in a row, maybe not including weekends, but that seems like a sort of high compliance patient is required for that to be effective. So some pros, some cons. Let's move on to ketamine. Tell the audience what that looks like for those who might not know much about it. Dan, just a point of clarification, the number of 80% remission, that's on a new protocol that it's not yet covered by insurance, but still the numbers and older protocols are still compelling. Moving on to ketamine, the clinics that we work with, they're using ketamine as a, the anesthetic off-label. So they are their cash pay or they bill insurance for the observation. And this is ketamine administered other through an IV, through an infusion, through an intramuscular injection, through a generic nasal spray, or the, the Johnson Johnson Janssen variant of ketamine called as ketamine spravato. And those actually require patients to come in once every week or once every few weeks for anywhere between five and six, seven sessions. So they're less time consuming than TMS, but they have a very different mechanism of action. And we're not working with ketamine-assisted psychotherapy providers at the moment. So usually the patient just goes in for the ketamine infusion and they work on psychotherapy or talk therapy with their own providers. What does the ketamine do for people? That's an interesting question. I've never done a session myself, but we've people reporting from immediate reduction of depressive symptoms. I believe that's the thing that people look for the most. At one point in the company, we did direct to consumer tests, driving people that we would be getting from TikTok and Facebook, Instagram content, putting them through our system to really understand the patient journey. And we were having text message conversations with people actually were looking to become patients. And some of them, I actually had them myself. We all did, and the company's part of this process. And to really understand what are the pain points? What do people need to know? What are they looking to understand? And we did pre-screening, so people who were we were actually having conversations with, they had insurance, they had tried multiple types of medication, and in some cases in different classes of medication. So in all cases, they would say, I'm still depressed and nothing is working. So the reduction of depressive symptoms is the thing that people are looking for the most, at least from what we've seen. And these are from our own interactions with people. 
And what's the best data you found around ketamine and its impact on depression? So there are numbers, they're promising, but there's no silver bullets. And depending on the study, depending on the, the protocols, et cetera, there's a wide range of numbers. So I'd rather not misquote these studies, but similarly to TMS, it's promising. It works for some people, it doesn't work for others. And this is why we believe in HICA being treatment agnostic. We want to make sure that even providers see them, see us as treatment agnostic. And actually, one of the things that we're discussing with one of our telehealth foundational partners is not only connecting their patients to ketamine and TMS clinics, but also other telehealth providers on a network like NoCD. We're discussing this. NoCD is a company that they provide ERP, which is a type of therapy to treat OCD that can be done virtually. And Cerebral doesn't provide ERP. So here's a great case where the market is pushing us to become our company vision, a centralized referral hub for specialty behavioral health, where Cerebral can, through HICA, they can get their patients to OCD treatments, and then they can all get their patients to interventional psychiatry, interventional psychiatry clinics, can get their patients into ERP at no CD. Basically, the behavioral health space, there's been so much innovation and money going into and companies providing telehealth, the access. Now it's the easiest time in our lives to actually access behavioral health care, but it's still highly fragmented. And even though there are some healthcare enterprises, there are providers that are trying to do a lot, it's impossible for them to do everything. So I think we, we are becoming that connective tissue where even we get cold emails. A dermatology company emailed us with 5,000 patients saying we have patients with skin disorders and they have severe depression. What can we do? So anyways, long answer for your question. I think there's certainly lots of people who are saying, gosh, we've got people who are depressed or anxious or OCD, sort of conventional treatments or whatever the status quo isn't working all that well recognizing that you are a platform, that you are treatment agnostic, that you are on the business side and not the clinical side, I'll still ask this question, which is, what do you think is out there that could make the biggest difference for individuals, their families who are suffering from these mental health conditions? We've talked a little bit about ketamine. We've talked a little bit about brain stimulation. Are there other psychedelics potentially coming down the pipeline and going through FDA approval, like MDMA, like psilocybin? There are other alternative treatments that we haven't even talked about. What's out there that gives you the most optimism? Dan, you did your homework. Um, you got those right. So we're excited about two psychedelics in particular that are showing very promising results. Psilocybin and MDMA. Recent JAMA psychiatry study for psilocybin demonstrated over 50% remission for depression. And for MDMA, a trial published in May 2021 found almost 70% of those in the MDMA-assisted therapy group no longer had PTSD symptoms after three sessions. These are all very promising results. But going back to the concept of we don't believe that there is or there will be a silver bullet. What we're most excited about at HICA is that we're building the infrastructure for people to get the treatments they need at the right time without all the guesswork and zigzagging around, making it easy for patients and 
their care teams. And this is in line with our core values as a company. We believe in generosity and we're building the connective tissue, the spider web, the infrastructure. So each entity, healthcare provider, healthcare organization, company can share patients with each other and they can provide the care that they're focused on. They're created to provide and share patients with each other and the benefit of the patient and all entities that join our network, they're getting what they want the most, improved outcomes and getting more patients to join their organizations. So we don't see this as a zero sum game. It's actually the complete opposite. I think that's a great note to end on. Hero, thanks so much for joining me today. Dan, thank you so much for having me. Have a good rest of your day. Thanks for listening to Taking Notes with NextGen Venture Partners. We hope you enjoyed the discussion. To learn more about us or to hear all of our past podcasts, please go to nextgenvp.com. And now for some important disclaimers. The information contained in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to purchase any securities. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Any performance or projections contained herein may be significantly affected by future events. Any opinions, assumptions, assessments, statements, or the like regarding future events or which are forward-looking constitute only subjective views and beliefs, should not be relied on, and are subject to change due to a variety of factors, including fluctuating market conditions and economic factors.